Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of uh, NaturalHealingAutism.com's podcast. I am Karen Thomas, and uh, we offer natural resources for parents of children with autism to help them uh, be able to find solutions to get their children better. And I often interview, uh, as you know, if you've followed for a while, a lot of experts in various fields. And today we have another yet uh, special guest with us. We have Dr. Jody Deshore. And I'm going to give you a brief uh, description of her background because it is very interesting. (laughs) Dr. Deshore is an internationally recognized pioneering physician in the world of what Dr. DeShort refers to as complex autism. And we're going to get into this in the interview. And biotoxin illnesses from chronic inflammatory response syndrome, which comes from water-damaged buildings. Uh, Dr. DeShort is highly specialized in the German biological and holistic treatment of children with autism, comorbid with tick diseases, mold, and biotoxin illnesses, and uses cutting-edge technology with all-natural methodology. And Dr. DeShore designs highly individualized genetic-based biological protocols to help children with ASD to achieve their full potential. And her background is that uh, Dr. DeShore is a natural healer, author, teacher, mentor, researcher, scientist, physician, and uh, there's a lot more to this. Uh, She went to the University of Bombay Medical School and uh, got her alternative medical degree from Calcutta Medical School. And uh, also, she is the founder and director of Integrative Neurosensory Associates, a functional biomedical and integrative medicine practice in Marlboro, New Jersey. So she's now in the United States and works with children and adults from across the country with all of these varied comorbid symptoms that I just mentioned. So um, first of all, I'd like to say welcome, Dr. Deshore, and thank you so much for being here today. Hi, how are you? Thank you for having me on today. Oh, I'm, I'm, I'm thrilled to have you. I know that a lot of these comorbid symptoms are actually quite common in children with autism, but a lot of parents aren't aware of them. Things like um, the mold biotoxin illness, illness from uh, water-damaged building exposure and Lyme's disease. Uh, there are a lot of things, pandas, which I'll let you explain, but um, these are all things that sometimes parents might think, well, how come my child isn't getting better? I've been doing, you know, certain things that I've heard were, were helpful, and of course there's also always, you know, a little more to do. There are other things, but um, these are these, these kind of standalones that come up that a lot of people aren't aware of. So would you um, mind just giving us a, a little background with how you work with children on the autism spectrum and these comorbid symptoms, uh, such as the, the, the ones that we just discussed? Yes, absolutely. Um, you're absolutely right when you say, you know, there are, uh, there are certain families that have tried everything for their children, you know, everything that is known to work for children with autism on the autism spectrum. And, and, you know, what I find is the patients that come to me is are either that the current available treatments are not working or that, you know, they work for a little while and then they plateau. Uh, For example, there are children that go for sensory integration and within the session, it seems that the child is really responding well. You know, it's, he's, he's a very smart kid. He's able to pick up pretty quickly, but there is no generalization. 
once once the child gets back home lasts for a few days and and uh, you know when, once again the behaviors emerge so uh, it got me thinking because Karen I don't know if you're aware but my my own son uh, went from being on the spectrum to being on the honor roll now he's 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 in a, a pre-med high school uh, we thought he was on the spectrum in the beginning uh, it took a, a many many years of going through uh, gestational Lyme disease um, I, I passed Lyme disease on to him in utero mm -hmm. which you know we, we found out much later uh, so he went through gestational Lyme. He, he went through uh, being on the spectrum right after his MMR vaccination. No, not MMR. It, it, it was uh, DTaP. Right after DTaP, uh, he, he stopped making any, uh, any further progress. And uh, he, was, he was on the spectrum. So pretty much you know, he's, he's gone through pandas. He's gone through being on the spectrum. And uh, we found out he had 11 co-infections in wow. the brain wow and so, how did you find out that he had 11 co-infections in the brain we went through labs you know we went to several different practitioners and after all that was addressed we, we found that there was you know why why are we still at 80 percent what's going on uh, of course by the time he had made phenomenal progress so we found out uh, there is something called as uh, chronic inflammatory response syndrome which is you know exposure to mold if you are genetically inclined to mold, and, and I'm, I'm, I'm gonna get into all of this, but just wanted to give you an overall overview. So now um, I have this, uh, which is what uh, got me thinking, and, and I came up with the term, you know, this is not just autism. I mean, as if autism wasn't complex enough, this is actually complex autism. Absolutely. So that's, that's something that I, I thought, you know, I, I should put it out there. So what, what I see in my practice is um, let's, talk about, uh, let's talk about children with underlying co-infections. You know, since that was a question you raised. Now, you know, spirochetes have been shown to enter and actively infect the human central nervous system. And just for the parents listening who don't know what spirochetes are, could you briefly describe them? Yes, that of course. Uh, spirochetes are the bacteria that are found in ticks, and these bacteria are known to cause uh, Lyme disease. And also to keep in mind that every tick is a cesspool of disease. Uh, many, many infections are carried within the tick, and uh, usually what I see is uh, after a tick bite, tick bite, uh, tick attachment, tick engorgement, uh, quite a few infections are passed on into the child or the person. But, you know, I'm just going to say child because we are speaking about children today. Right. So that's, that's uh, you know, so what happens is when, when the bacteria enter the brain, uh, it increases inflammation in the brain. And what else they do is they secrete toxins, which help, which help the ticks to break down connective tissue in the brain and it also helps in lowering the effectiveness or it increases the permeability of the blood-brain barrier so once the blood-brain barrier is compromised you know we can have issues with autoimmunity we can have issues with other bacteria entering the brain um, now the, the number one herbalist for Lyme disease, pretty much for uh, um, on the planet, is uh, one of my good friends and mentors, Stephen Buhner. 
And uh, he talks about bacterial intelligence, saying that uh, Lyme bacteria and, and, and a couple others like strep and staph are, you know, the, they've been around for millions of years, much longer than we have as humans. And the, the bacterial intelligence is such that they want to make sure that us humans as a host stay compromised, that, that the immune system stays compromised and that they stay hidden so they can survive. So what they do is uh, if the spirochete bacteria are the first that enter the body, then they gather information about the immune system and they actually pass it on to other bacteria that happen to come later. So that, uh, that was interesting to me. So, you know, here's, here's what, um, uh, what, what I learned from uh, another world renowned physician. I've, I've, because of my background, I've, I'm very grateful and I've been very fortunate at being able to learn and mentor with some of these world renowned physicians. Um, and what I learned from Dr. Charles Ray Jones um, was some, some of the neuropsychiatric manifestations of Lyme induced autism. How's, how's this for an idea, right? Um, I, I get parents that ask me, so is, is the autism from Lyme? So I'm like, yes, you know, doesn't that just blow your mind that autism could be a symptom of Lyme disease, right? Because Lyme right. is known as a great imitator. Because the autism is just a label name for a bundled group of symptoms that vary greatly from one person to another. Correct. Absolutely. So here, I mean, some of the symptoms that could, uh, some of these uh, neuropsych manifestations of Lyme uh, induced autism or Lyme in the brain or neuroborreliosis, as is known, it could be uh, brain fog, hypersensitivity to light, sound, taste, smell, low muscle tone, uh, difficulty with motor planning, uh, mood disorders, acting out, aggression, self-harm. I mean, doesn't this sound familiar? Poor right. coordination, right? No eye contact, uh, having visual difficulties, processing difficulties. But you know, um, one, one interesting thing, I, I, I still remember little Johnny. Uh, most parents, when they come in and they have a child with underlying Lyme disease, right? Uh, the, the most common things that I hear is that, uh, you know what, Dr. Deshore, I know and I can see that my child is very curious, very, you know, uh, wants to learn. Uh, there is, uh, he wants to socialize. You know, he's not in his own world like, like someone, you know, with severe autism or, or on the other end of the spectrum. Uh, and, but the thing is, he's not able to. You know, I, I see that he wants to speak and, and there are many signs that you have a child that is highly intelligent and, uh, you know, somehow um, has plateaued uh, or treatment is not working. And um, one thing that I found in little Johnny was, was you know, there was a lot of this uh, hand flapping, the hand shaking, right? Uh, uh, and there was a lot of head shaking. So that got me thinking and long story short, you have to understand that uh, Lyme disease loves to attack the nerves. So when you have any patient, even the ones that don't have autism, you know, they're adults, when, when you have Lyme-induced neuropathy, what do you get? You know, you get tingling in your hands and feet, you get numbness, right? You get muscle fasciculations or muscle twitching, you get pain, uh, and even the adults, they end up flapping their hands. 
So uh, when, when you have children with autism, with language difficulties and not being able to communicate and, uh, you know, what, what are they going to do when, when they start feeling pain, when they start feeling GI uh, discomfort, when they start getting migraines, headaches, you know, they act out. And uh, we found about seven co-infections in Johnny. He was not exposed to mold, but, but he did have seven co-infections. One of the co-infections was Ehrlichia, which, uh, which actually suppresses your immune system. You see low white blood cell counts. You see uh, uh, bone marrow being suppressed. You see anemia. So here was a child who was weak, malnourished, uh, had Lyme-induced neuropathy, a lot of hand flapping, uh, and had Lyme in the brain. So there was Lyme-induced pants. He didn't have strep issues, so there was no pandas, but there was pants. And, and again, you know, we'll, we'll get into the differences uh, once we finish talking about Lyme. Mm -hmm. So that, that is, uh, th then on the other hand, we had Johnny who wanted to socialize. You know, he would, he would notice everything. He would be like, Dr. Jody, you, you have new lipstick today. You're looking so pretty. So that, that was, so he, he was aware. He was here in the now. Uh, and then he would snap out of it and, uh, and seem to go back into his own world. But, but, you know, we saw glimpses of a very bright child. Mm -hmm. You know um, that they're in there, right? And then parents usually know, like, yes. like my son was diagnosed with autism and is now recovered. And I knew that he could get better. I just knew it. I didn't know how at the time, but I knew that I was going to be able to find solutions. Find solutions, exactly. Yes, I'm, I'm right there with you. That's, that's the exact same feeling I had about my son. So we, we found, um, now his mother wanted to, uh, I'm, I'm talking about Johnny, his mom wanted to do all natural treatment. Right? She, she didn't want to pursue antibiotics uh, of any sort, so which is what we did. You know, we did um, a, a lot of homotoxicology, which is complex homeopathy, because uh, what, I, what I found is single remedies uh, just don't work or they take very long to work, you know, constitutional, because Lyme disease is a, a systemic issue. You know, there is a multi-system involvement. There is, you can have gut, gut problems, you can have brain problems, you can have endocrine issues, uh, Lyme can go after your heart. Mm -hmm. So those, those, you know, and speaking of heart, um, when I see a child on the spectrum that has very unusually high anxiety, not just anxiety of new situations, you know, that can be seen in even neurotypical children. You know, you're, you're going into a new doctor's office and but this is atypical anxiety, very high anxiety that, that, that brings about aggression and, and, and uh, other behaviors. This, that too gives me a clue that there is some sort of brain inflammation that is underlying uh, this, um, what's going on with this child. I mean, I'm, I mean pretty much, you know, the, the brain is uh, seriously inflamed along with immune compromise. So that, that is, um, I, I can't tell you how, how many parents come to me and say, you know, um, uh, let's, let's talk about Johnny, right? So, so mom was like, he's, he's really very healthy. So I'm like, what do you mean? So she says, you know, uh, he never really gets a fever, but, but he has autism and he has, you know, these behaviors and, uh, and, and all of these treatments don't seem to stick. 
So one thing to keep in mind is not getting fevers is not healthy. It shows that your immune system is, is compromised. I mean, uh, every child, a couple good high fevers, you, you know, a couple times a year, that is kind of normal, isn't it, Karen? I'm, I mean, you know, right? It's the body's defense mechanism. It's exactly. trying to fight something. So if you're not getting a fever or people who try to get rid of the fever as soon as it shows up, they don't let the fever really do its job right. because they're so afraid of fevers. I mean, it's different right. if it's up at 105 or something ridiculous. But, you know, yeah, that, that uh, fevers are there to tell you that your body is working right. So you're, what yeah. you're saying then is if these children are not getting fevers at all, their immune systems are not reacting. They're not working. Exactly. Yes. There is, you know, uh, there is what is called as uh, Lyme-induced immune deficiency. Um, uh, uh, pretty much, yeah, pretty much you, you become a sitting duck for co-infections because the, 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 the predominant mission of, of, of the Lyme bacteria and the co-infections that come with it, you know, so I, I have some children that have Bartonella, almost all of them um, uh, have infections called as Bartonella Hensley. Uh, Bartonella quintana is another one. Uh, many, or if not most, have Babesia, which is a cousin of malaria. Uh, they have a couple different species of Babesia. Uh, and now uh, European and American research is uh, discovering that Lyme itself has a few different strains. So, you know, it's, it's like Borrelia miyamotoi, Borrelia recurrentis. Uh, and Borrelia burgdorferi is not the only strain that is being seen here in the U.S. So um, you have this Lyme-induced immune deficiency because these co-infections have to keep your immune system in check so they can exist and grow. Uh, and then there is toxins that are released by these bacteria that affect multiple systems in the body, including the brain. And then there is uncontrolled inflammation. Obviously, because there is bacteria in the body, there's toxins in the body, your immune system gets overactive and, uh, and, and you have you know, um, uh, pro-inflammatory cytokines being released, including in the brain. So this is what you see. So, so what I see is, um, I see three different kinds of immune reactions in the body uh, of, of children. One is energy, which is what we just spoke about. Energy means not having any response to you know, not getting a normal fever response uh, when being exposed to common infections, you know, the common cold, a uh, couple of strep infections here and there, right? You know, a couple of sinus infections, one or two ear infections. So those, those are common and I, I don't see them uh, in, in the population that I see. Then the second would be allergy. There is a lot of food sensitivities. Uh, there is a lot of environmental sensitivities. Uh, and there's a lot of multiple chemical sensitivities which are seen uh, in, uh, in the patient population that I see. And the last but not the least, I see autoimmunity. Now, in, right? So in adults, uh, that, that can manifest as multiple sclerosis, as Parkinson's, and, and that blows the adults' minds too. I mean, are you telling me that my MS can be uh, a symptom, <laughs> you know, that, that, that my Parkinson's can be a symptom. I'm like, absolutely. If you have any autoimmune issue, including Crohn's, colitis, you know, and anything autoimmune, 
it is absolutely essential to rule out underlying tick-borne infections because they can be so immune suppressing, so immune dysregulating. So that's um, so that that's what I see in in the patients that have uh, tick-borne infections, and it can mimic so many other things that you're talking about. And and one thing that I've I've found people have a hard time getting positive a positive result for a Lyme test. And I've heard yes. sometimes I've looked at uh, if the immune system is really working hard because it's so weak, basically, the gut is out of balance, they're loaded with heavy metals and other toxins, then, then often the, uh, the tests for Lyme won't come up positive yet. You kind of have to heal the system a bit before you test, to get accurate tests. So could you talk a little bit about that and what you find is, uh, are good um, sources for Lyme testing as well? Because I know those are a little challenging. It's kind of the, uh, the tests used in the United States anyway, a lot of them uh, the general blood swab tests right. aren't, aren't correct or don't work well. Right, absolutely. Yes, you're absolutely right. So when you have bacteria whose sole purpose in life is to suppress your immune system, uh, all, all, uh, all of the numbers that you see in lab testing, right, the antibody titers, who produces those antibodies? That is your immune system. If you have an immune system that is weakened, you will not see the antibody response. Not just to the Lyme and co-infections, you will also see a reduced or suppressed antibody response to other co-infections. Um, I've, I've had a child that was uh, treated for mystery asthma for two and a half years with steroids. Mystery. Right? Mystery asthma, <laughs> you know, because, because he was coughing uh, pretty much 24 seven, uh, was was unable to do an, any kind of sports because of exertion, right? So that's it. Pharmaceuticals, you know, start start with steroids, start with albuterol. Um, long story short, would be that two and a half years doing steroids and um, uh, other meds, he stopped growing. And when I I saw him, it was pretty obvious that, that there was underlying co-infection. So, in, so it wasn't mystery asthma. For two and a half years, this poor child had walking pneumonia. And not even once did the immunologist ever think of looking for mycoplasma pneumonia bacteria. Wow. They, they would rather suppress, suppress, suppress. Um, and, and they had the, so it, the, when I saw him, this child, the, the mycoplasma being a cell wall deficient, meaning they don't have cell wall, uh, and cell wall in a bacteria is what's used to manufacture food. So they, I mean, I mean you had this child was failure to thrive, teeny tiny, skinny, because all of his nutrition was, was being used up by the, the organisms inside. So that was really sad, but the good news was within three months of treatment, uh, his mystery asthma vanished and he hasn't had to use any kind of nebulizer or any kind of treatment for asthma. I mean, it's been four years now, you know, we still stay in touch, but he's doing great. So just, just one, one example. So I'm sorry, um, I digress. So coming back to the immune suppression and lab testing, right? Uh, there is a two-tier uh, lab testing that is done through the general labs. You, you have the ELISA and you have the Western blot, right? So ELISA is not sensitive enough and Western blot, no, I'm sorry, ELISA is not specific enough and the Western blot is not sensitive enough to be able to diagnose Lyme disease, right? When, when you have a test that is 
highly specific that helps you rule in the diagnosis. And when you have a test that is highly sensitive, that helps you rule out the diagnosis. So, you know, uh, it, it all started as, as a pretty hopeful system. Let's have a test, the ELISA, which can help us rule in. And then in, in case that doesn't happen, then we have, we have the Western blot that can help us rule out. Either ways we know do you, if you have Lyme or not. But unfortunately, uh, because of this immune suppression, Mm -hmm. uh, the specificity and the, sens uh, and the sensitivity of these uh, two-tier testing is less than a coin toss, is less than 50%. It's, it's very unfortunate. Then we have specialty labs. So I don't know if I'm allowed to mention names, but... but yes, absolutely. I, I like to give resources to parents, and then I'll link to them at the bottom of the page at naturallyhealingautism.com for them. Okay, great. So we have specialty labs now. Uh, we actually have, have, have a few specialty labs. The, the ones that I use uh, in my practice is either Igenix uh, labs and or I would use DNA Connections lab. Uh, DNA Connections lab looks at the DNA PCR um, uh, analysis in urine. So for those children that are uh, that, that have like severe behavioral issues or anxiety issues with blood draw. Uh, I, I find that DNA connections lab works better with, with, you know, I'm, I mean, um, uh, it's just a urine collection versus having to sit there for blood draw. Uh, right. So that that's, yeah. So that's, those are the two options. Now um, I recently came, uh, I, I, I was recently introduced to a wonderful new lab test that is uh, that should be on the market soon. It's called as Global Lyme Diagnostics. Now, uh, Global Lyme Diagnostics. The what one of the 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 predominant questions that I that I get asked is um, just because there was a tick crawling on me, does that mean that I have Lyme disease? You know, how do I know if, if, if the tick, you know, took, took a bite and, 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 and then, you know, uh, was still crawling around or, or a couple of places if, if I got a bite, because sometimes that's not noticeable. And some so, of the ticks are, are the size of a poppy seed or smaller. You, you right. can not even notice them. That's right. Yes. You know, some of the ticks, the baby ticks or, or, or the nymph ticks, they're just, mm -hmm. just like a speck of dust. Mm -hmm. That's quite true. Yes. So um, the ELISA or many of the, many of the tests on the market right now, they look at a specific uh, tick protein, which is called as OSP-A. So the, the tick will demonstrate OSP-A, which gets picked up in the test, uh, which means that it's, it's carrying Lyme disease or, you know, um, that's, that's what it means. But there is another protein this called as OSP-C. Now OSP-C is displayed on the tick after the tick has had a blood meal. So after the tick has bitten you, then you see OSP-C. So this is absolutely fantastic that this, the global Lyme diagnostics test looks at OSP-C. So that gives you an answer, you know, there's no mystery that, oh, you know, did I get the bite? Did I get the Lyme? Do I have Lyme in me? Do I have to spend, you know, thousands with, with a private lab? Uh, so that's, and, and, and I'm going to look into this lab a little bit further because I, I was very impressed with, 
uh, with, with the presentation and the science behind it. Uh, th this the same lab has actually come up with uh, with the recently released vaccination uh, for animals for Lyme disease. You know, and 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 vaccination has been very successful. So I know that their research is um, uh, is pretty solid. So I'm 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 going to look uh, look a little bit further into this lab because you know what will happen. Um, it's going to eliminate the two tier testing. You don't have to go for ELISA and then. Um, Many pediatricians don't like to prescribe both ELISA and Western blot, even though both should be done together because of the immune suppressing nature of, of the spirochete, you know, the, the, the Lyme bacteria. But uh, most pediatricians just run the ELISA, which is which becomes useless in most. So, so, yeah, go ahead. A lot of people aren't aware of what the ELISA is, and uh, it can be kind of hard to find. So if you have a good resource for it, and if you could give our listeners a little bit more background on what the ELISA is. Uh, the ELISA, um, honestly, it, it would be, um, okay. So when, when you test through uh, Quest and LabCorp, right, the, the first tier of testing is, is the ELISA test. And uh, ELISA looks for antibodies to the to the Lyme bacteria. It's it's best to just keep it as um, as simple as that. Uh, and then the Western blot, which is so okay. Wait, let me backtrack a little bit. So with the ELISA, if the ELISA comes up that the patient has been exposed to the Lyme bacteria, if the ELISA is uh, is positive, the assay. That is when most pediatricians will go ahead and perform the Western blot. The Western blot looks at the actual band, actual protein bands that are found on the tick. Uh, and there are several of them. You know, uh, uh, your, your Quest and LabCorp look at seven IgG bands and seven IgM bands. Igenix looks at 14. Uh, and there's a reason for that. Mm. Uh, the, uh, the, the reason being that uh, the bands that were taken out from the Quest and LabCorp screening were the bands that were in the past used to make the Limerix vaccine. And uh, you, you may know that the old uh, Lyme vaccine uh, ended up killing people, um, uh, disabling them, causing a lot of side effects, and that was immediately pulled off the market. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, those bands have not been put back into the testing. That is why uh, Igenix testing becomes superior uh, as, as, as far as blood tests go is because they look at all 14 bands, the IgM14 and IgG14. Uh, and many of these bands are very highly specific for the spirochete. Uh, and there are some bands that are cross-reactive. So it is very complex reading a Western blot. You need a Lyme literate uh, practitioner. Mm -hmm. like I'm, I'm a member of the International Lyme and Associated Disease Society, the ILADS, uh, and, and I've, I've been trained with Dr. Jones, Dr. Jemsek, um, and there is a specific way of looking at the Western blot, uh, you know, lo lo looking at the positive bands. So for example, you know, if, if you have a, a band 31 and 34, then, then it means that you, you acquired Lyme within the last 18 months. If you have band 39, then it means there is um, a neurological connection, you know, there could be possible autoimmunity involved. 
Uh, what I find is if, if there is band 41, then you know that there is co-infections and cross-reactivity going on. So it's, it's, it's quite complex reading the Lyme test. So it's, it's always good to have a good ILADS practitioner on board. Yeah, absolutely. They need to be specializing in this because it's, it's got a lot of specialty to it. It's a lot of differences. I'm wondering too, you said the OSP you could be found on the tick. Does that mean that um, you have to have the tick or does it show up in the blood? It shows up in the blood. It does. Okay. And then, um, so this uh, global Lyme diagnostics is coming up soon. It's not... Yeah doesn't sound like it's available quite yet. So what is the best resource then, the hygienics, um, or, or for people to, to uh, I know that we basically uh, want to work with the gut, heal it up as best we can. We want to get kind of the toxins out and get the immune system to be able to be a little bit stronger before right. some of the tests will show up, so before you even start testing. And then when you do go to test, we've mentioned several. What, what would be a parent's best option and how do you how do you find those places for lab testing right for the testing that's that's okay. available now okay um first thing is uh what what i I'd, I'd like to just backtrack one tiny bit sure is to explain how to how to suspect lyme induced autism in your child mm. right now here here's um uh, i remember you know dr jones explaining this to me many years ago now Here's the thing, it's Lyme-induced autism is autism manifesting as a failure to progress versus regressive autism. You know, I mean, the difference is timing. While one subset of children achieves um, certain developmental milestones, but what happens is they lose them. Now, the other subset never passes those milestones at all. They don't lose any skills. They don't regress. Rather, they never develop them in the first place. That is the difference, you know, regressive autism versus failure to progress. So most of the children, uh, I, I would say almost all of the children with Lyme-induced autism that I've seen in my practice are just like that. You know, it's autism manifesting as a failure to progress. So that is... Um, that is okay, so what if you see this you know and and then the other things that you and i spoke about that that um as as a parent you know if you have a child uh, that is waiting to emerge you know that is really intelligent underneath and and there's something else going on some infection some inflammation something suppressing the, the brain development you know as a parent mm -hmm. so what what you would do is you would approach a pediatrician uh and what the pediatrician will do is uh, is run the ELISA, run the Western blog through Quest or LabCorp. Uh, and then if, if anything shows up, I would suggest even if one band shows up reactive, one band, just keep in mind, uh, I just explained that Quest and LabCorp only have half of the bands available for testing because of the Lymerix vaccine, right? So even if one band shows up, I would take my child to a Lyme literate practitioner. And then the, the, the each Lyme literate practitioner has their own preferences. You know, some of them like to run labs through DNA connections. Um, some of them like to run hygienics. And of course, cost is a big factor, which is why I'm, I'm really excited about, um, uh, about the uh, Lyme test from Global Lyme Diagnostics, because that is extremely reasonable. 
but the you know and, and it's especially useful for screening if, if you have if you have like I I, um, I was recently at, at a Lyme retreat um, I, I was leading a Lyme retreat just a couple days ago um, in the beautiful mountains of North Carolina and I, I, I had a mother there she has eight children how is she ever going to be able to afford hygienics testing or or you know even DNA so uh, she's waiting for the global Lyme, uh, global Lyme diagnostics to come out so she can just screen all of her children. You know, if, uh, what happens is if one child or, or if, if the mother tests positive for Lyme, then it's very, uh, it's very anxiety provoking because gestational Lyme awareness is out there now. You know, so this poor mom wants to test all of her children and, and it's, it's just not possible. So you asked about the global Lyme diagnostics being available. They are available right now. I, I, uh, they have the kits ready to go. Uh, they are available. In fact, um, at Autism One, I, I I was going to mention that and and see if if um, uh, we could have some sort of you know a screening for people who are people who are interested. So I'm I'm wondering if 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 I should call. Um, uh, and have it set up for next week. Uh, I don't know. Well, you know, perhaps you and I can chat a little bit about this later. But because right. uh, not a lot of people bring their children to the Autism One Conference. True. true. Yeah, I spoke at it last year. There are. It's mostly parents. There are some children there, but not a, not a lot. They do provide some childcare, so so for people who are who are utilizing that. But a lot of people come without their children. So well, you could you could contact. Well, we can talk about the letter Ed and yeah, Terry yeah. and ask them about that. Yeah, great. Okay. Yeah, so that's uh, so yes. So that's going to be another uh, option that is available now. You know, they just need to get 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 the word out a little bit more, um, uh, and they're looking at co-infections as well. Now, now keep in mind, um, one has to look at symptoms. Uh, the most important thing is to keep in mind is Lyme disease and the co-infections are a clinical diagnosis. You need a practitioner that is well-versed uh, in, you know, one, one thing that my patients really appreciate uh, uh, and, and the one, one description uh, that I had a patient's uh, family give me was that Dr. Deshore, you can see the full 360. Mm-hmm. So, you, you know, you need a practitioner because I've, I've pretty much lived it just like you have. So you, you, you have that, you know, extra sensory perception of, of being able to look beyond the obvious. And um, so I, you need a practitioner from what I'm seeing from, from the, that is why I, um, I actually coined the term complex autism is you need a practitioner that understands autism, right? That understands uh, Lyme disease and co-infections and tick-borne infections and the clinical symptoms understands the labs, what labs to order, how to read the labs, how to treat those co-infections, and be able to differentiate if there is any mold exposure going on, if there is any methylation issues going on, you know, if there is other genetic issues like HLA-DR susceptibilities going on, and come up with a very individualized plan. Because what happens is, uh, and this is again, published research, uh, and Stephen Buhner, the clinical herbalist, talks about this as well, that the bacteria, first of all, 
the, 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 the old uh, Lyme bacteria that has been researched many years ago, those have changed, they've morphed, as have the co-infections, right? As, as, as the, 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 the greenhouse effect changes, as, as our ecosystem changes, as, as our toxins get more and more toxic, as our food becomes food-like substance, uh, it's, it's, uh, the, the bacteria have to adapt and, and they change. So if, if you, if, I mean, literally, if, if you cultivate Borrelia burgdorferi, the Lyme bacteria, in a Petri dish, right? And, uh, and then you, you just record its various properties. Oh, this is what it looks like. This is the morphology. This is the cell structure, blah, blah, blah. Then when you put that bacteria, obviously you cannot do this, but just, you know, hypothetically, if you put this bacteria in a human, if you infect a human, that bacteria in vivo, meaning inside a live human host, becomes very different from the bacteria that you had in vitro in the Petri dish. It's very different. This is something so, you know, don't ever look for, uh, don't ever look for cookie cutter protocols. Right. They will not work, you know, especially for our, our children with autism that are, you know, already suffering from, from being on the spectrum that already have brain inflammation, which goes with being on the spectrum. So this is the reason why I, I you know, learned and trained. I trained abroad uh, in, in Switzerland and Germany just to be able to come up with holistic protocols that are very, very genetically tailored to each, uh, each patient. And so how does somebody find, I know that I'll, I'll link to the, the ILADS uh, organization as well for specialists in Lyme disease, but how would a parent with a child with autism is there a, a great way to find what you're talking about? I mean, the optimum doctor for a, a child with autism that knows about Lyme and pandas and, and um, chronic inflammatory response from mold and, and, and autism, you know, all of those pieces, how do they best find that doctor? Do you have a, is, a, is there, is there a, a link or anything that you can offer or anything you know of? Uh, for a physician that understands the full 360 that you just spoke of, mm -hmm. I know only one other physician. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's the thing is it's pretty tough. And people are all over the world, you know, from right. Africa to Europe to right. U.S. I mean, it's, so right. they're kind of like, well, how do I find out? So right. it's great if these so, tests at least could be sent out, like you said, to save right. people money too, because affordability is an issue. The global Lyme diagnostics test can be sent anywhere in the world. That's helpful Absolutely. for at least that piece. Yeah, yeah. Uh, most of this testing now, it's interesting because... Um, I, I get invited to speak internationally. I'm, I'm going to be speaking. I have already done a webinar in London. I've been invited for the Women's Autism uh, Seminar by the Prince Charles Foundation and Project ASPE. Uh, that's happening in the last week of June. So th they've invited me to be the uh, lead speaker and a guest of honor. So I'll be going there. And then I've been invited by, of all places, Lithuania the Medical Association uh, of Lithuania and the Lyme Association of Poland, which is nearby, they want me to come and speak about natural methods because their children are suffering. Uh, children with autism, you know, uh, have become complicated with pandas, with Lyme disease, uh, and antibiotics are simply not working for children on the spectrum. It, they no. just get worse. Right, it, because it's destroying what little good gut right. bacteria they have left, and we're trying right. to renew that. So their immune system just gets weaker and weaker. It doesn't help them. 
right? So I, I've ended up seeing, so the, uh, I'm being invited to speak right at, at the medical school, which is quite an honor, but I'm really happy to hear, you know, of, of the growing awareness yes. for, for natural medicine. So I'm, I'm currently Skyping uh, and uh, with patients from 14 countries. Oh, okay. So you'll, you can Skype with people that works and you can send them to do labs near where they live and then, you, right. oh, perfect. Okay. Right. That's so, what what yeah. is your, uh, your, your website for people to get a hold of you if they'd like to? Uh, my website right now is, is my uh, last name. It's www.theshoreintegrativerx.com. And uh, I'm, I'm, going through a process of updating the website, but it's fully functional right now. If you want to send me an email, that's, that's fine. Or you can, um, uh, all the information is on the website, the phone number, the email. All your contact information. Contact information. Perfect. Hours, et cetera. It's, it's all on the website. So yeah, I mean, definitely. It's um, uh, almost every child that I, um, uh, I deal with internationally have a local pediatrician that is willing to learn so so you know they're they're very cooperative with labs um and we have various communities here through church through temple um where when, when they travel abroad like, like i i have several patients in india uh, i i have several patients in dubai in uh, in saudi arabia in south africa in france uh in uh, in Morocco, I'm, I'm in many countries, uh, South Korea, Singapore. So they, they are in, in touch with their local communities as well. And as, as far as taking supplements, almost, uh, I haven't had anybody uh, at, at my temple refuse to take one box for a sick child as they are traveling to their destination country. So it, it has been a, um, a beautiful community effort as well, trying to get, um, get children to heal across the world. Yes, well, that's good to know that, they're, they're, that the uh, physicians are open-minded that are being, uh, coming forward to be part of this, that they're, they're open to the natural processes uh, as well, instead of just thinking that pharmaceuticals or antibiotics have to be the answer and that's it. Right. Yeah. I'm, I'm also doing, I've been, I'm being invited to do a, a lot of physician training. So next year in London in spring, uh, we have a physician training uh, workshop for herbal and natural uh, remedies uh, and protocols uh, and approaches and evaluation, the, the, the whole nine yards uh, for children with autism uh, or children with complex autism, like I call it. So uh, we are we are almost already booked out uh, for that, but but you know uh, we'll in fact actually we got booked out so early. It's uh, it's next spring, but but you know London venues have to be booked a, a year in advance. So so we got that, and then we announced it, and then we got booked out. So now we are looking at another venue which can hold about three to four hundred people because parents and practitioners both want to come. Uh, and since, since London is, is, you know, central, so we, we have people coming from all over Eastern and Western Europe to attend the, the workshop there. Yeah. So I, and I'd love to, um, I have, I have something called the Autism Moms Mentor Program, autismmomsmentor.com that I lead people through the processes to help naturally um, heal their child's systems. But um, 
many of them are in the London area, uh, so oh, and in France. Okay. So yeah, if there's a a way for them to to is there a link or something that you can give me to find out more about that, or I I can just Google what is it called that how would we find out about that? Yes, not yet. We we are changing okay. the venue to a much larger venue. So once once we secure the venue, I'll definitely send you a link. Oh, perfect. Okay, how, great. How they can register and whatnot. You know, we'll. Um, I'll give you all that information. Okay. Yeah, that would be wonderful. Okay, great. Where where were we? Um, uh, we pandas. Were, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we probably uh, yeah moving on to pandas, I suppose now. Yes. So uh, for people who are completely unaware of what pandas or slash pans is, could you right. also explain that? Yes, um, pandas is what pans used to be called. Uh, it's PANS now, but PANDAS is Pediatric Autoimmune and Neuropsychiatric Disorder Associated with the Strep Bacteria. Uh, and PANS is, um, uh, is multifocal, meaning, you know, multiple bacterial infections can cause a PANDAS-like syndrome. So that is called as Pediatric Autoimmune Neuropsychiatric Syndrome. That's PANS. And you uh, mentioned with the Lyme that they, there's Lyme-induced pans, so they don't correct. necessarily have to have the streptococcal infection. Correct. Exactly. Okay. Yes. So uh, what, what happens is uh, there are, you know, three components of Lyme disease and co-infections that can induce pans. Uh, and yes, uh, uh, research and lab testing has, has shown this. Now, first of all, you know, the first component is that there, like I said earlier, that there is the presence of the spirochete and co-infections in the brain or in the central nervous system, which includes the spinal cord, which is why you get the paresthesias, the tingling, the numbness, you know, muscle weakness and whatnot. Uh, in fact, my son wasn't able to walk wow. and he was in a wheelchair for a couple of years. And if I hadn't discovered if I hadn't, you know, just, just followed my motherly instinct and researched for thousands of hours, trained, gone abroad, we would have lost him or he would have been, you know, severely autistic in a wheelchair even now. But he's, he's uh, thriving, thank goodness, right now, by God's grace. And uh, yes, we found 11 infections. So, wow. you, yeah. Living a nice normal life now. He's, he's living a, um, a nice, normal life with the exception of we are trying to normalize his endocrine system, which is affected by the mold. So what I'll do is um, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go through uh, pants really quickly because we already spoke about the, the actual trigger for pants, which is Lyme and co-infections. And then I'd, I'd, you know, I'll just let you know uh, the, the kind of mold uh, Ex exposure symptoms um, and patients that I see in my practice and you know how it affects the, the, the whole picture. So here we have, uh, like I said, we have three components of Lyme and co-infections. Uh, one, one is the presence of the infection and the co-infections. Then also keep in mind, it's not just the bacteria, right? They live within us, you know, they, 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 they have to go through their own daily processes. So there is the illness producing effects of the exo and endotoxins that are produced by the bacteria within the body. Uh, then the third most important one actually is the immune reactions that are produced. Now keep in mind the poor immune system not only reacts to the bacteria because it has to, it's bacteria, uh, 
but they also react to the toxins. So, I mean, the, that is the design of the human immune system. You know, it's, it's, it's designed to protect the human body from a microbials, um, a microbial invasion, as well as toxin invasion. So your poor immune system is upregulated and dysregulated. So there is, uh, a, a, there is a, a really complex conundrum of immune reactions going on within the brain. Uh, that is called as autoimmune encephalopathy. Autoimmune encephalopathy. And uh, what, you know, it is, why does it become autoimmune? Is because your blood brain barrier is compromised by, by the toxins released by the bacteria. So your, uh, there is, microbes or bacteria that can enter the brain and the immune system can also enter the brain you know the immune cells that that may not be allowed in the brain they are now able to enter in the brain and unfortunately one of the areas in the brain called as the basal ganglia the basal ganglia the proteins the, the amino acid sequences that are in that area in the brain the basal ganglia those are very very similar to the proteins that are seen on the spirochetes and on strep bacteria. So the immune system, because it is uh, overactive or underactive, dysregulated, upregulated, you know, who knows what is going on with the poor immune system and with, 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 with this perfect storm happening in the body, the immune system goes and attacks these critical areas in the brain, thinking that they are bacteria. Mm -hmm. See, so it's a foreign agent, an enemy, and exactly. right, end up with these autoimmune issues. Exactly. Yeah. So, so you have children, you know, that that develop OCD. You have children um, that that develop um, intrusive thoughts, morbid thoughts. Uh, you, you have children uh, where where the the amygdala is affected. You know, Bartonella is is known to affect the amygdala. Sometimes it's called as amygdalitis because it's so inflamed. Then you have behavioral manifestations. You have emotional dissociative reactions. You know, I, I, I have a child who used to hug me all the time, but but now you know he's not interested. He he just you know uh, he doesn't even acknowledge me as mom. This this even though he was autistic, I used to get hugs. I I, I used to get affection, but now he's completely withdrawn and dissociated. He's not interested in siblings. Whereas previously there was interest. So all, all in all, you know, these things, like, um, and then amygdala again, we have rages, we can have rages that cannot be stopped. You know, um, I, I, I've seen a little child rage with hiccups, with anger, with behavioral manifestations. And this is a smart little child and he knows that he's being ridiculous, but it's just difficult to stop. That is where you know I, I knew that I, I had to test him for Bartonella, and yes, he was actually positive for for like two different strains of uh, Bartonella, which is also called as cat scratch fever. Mm. Uh, so if if I if if I find out that either the mother or the child had been scratched by a cat or bit by a cat that drew blood, that's another clue that, that gives me that, you know what, I, I should probably test for Bartonella. Now, in, in a normal person, but in a couple of cat scratches, the immune system handles it. 
But when you have so many other issues going on, that usually ends up as being another uh, chronic infection. Uh, before I move on to mold, one last thing I'd like to say is, um, as you mentioned, Karen, about the immune suppression and the antibodies that we see in the labs, right? When you have a suppressed immune system, uh, IgM response, which is your immediate response, that may not be seen. And uh, I often see lab positives. Now the lab itself will tell you that the IgG number for mycoplasma or for Epstein-Barr or for you know, parvovirus or cytomegaly uh, virus or chlamydia pneumonia, the IgG numbers are crazy high. Uh, I, I remember uh, for Brian, my son, that the IgG should be less than 99, zero to 99 for mycoplasma. And we had 6,000. Wow. So it, it took months and months of um, uh, herbal treatment. And we had to do one week each month of antibiotics because at that point, uh, one, one has to weigh benefit versus risk. And, and you know, because we had a child that was not walking, that has excruciating pain, uh, and mycoplasma has been, has been implicated in, in making Lyme arthritis worse. Or, you know, and mycoplasma has been implicated in rheumatoid arthritis per se as well. So we had to move fast. So um, should parents be having, uh, somebody was just asking me this about mycoplasma and having tests done. I mean, what, what, do you, what do you suggest around mycoplasma? Mary, can you uh, give any advice? I'll, sure. Uh, I like to run a, um, a full panel, right? I, I like to run your CBC, a complete blood count, uh, your comprehensive metabolic panel. I like to run, you know, all, um, uh, all different kinds of viruses. Uh, I like to run the lipid panel to see if there is a false elevation of LDL cholesterol uh, in children, which could be underlying biotoxin illness. Um, I like to look at obviously Lyme and co-infections. Um, and then there is a specific panel called as the shoemaker panel, which one, one looks at for biotoxin illness or, you know, chronic inflammatory response syndrome. So I, I, I have them, if, if I suspect, mm -hmm. um, that there's anything underlying, but other than, uh, other than the shoemaker panel, the other labs that I just highlighted, th those should be able to run by any local pediatrician. Okay. You know, just, just to look at. So there would be Epstein-Barr, cytomegaly virus, mycoplasma pneumonia, chlamydia pneumonia. Uh, I would look at HHV6 strain of the herpes. Uh, I mentioned human parvo. Uh, if you have a lot of animals and pets, uh, then I, I would also look at toxoplasma. Um, most parents with autism usually look for candida and just keep in mind if you're looking for candida in labs always look for the igm igg and iga iga would give you a clue that it's in the gut or where else is it and don't discount igg because most medical doctors by conventional training you know have have the programming in the brain that that igg is a past infection but you know, it's 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 quite 
startling to me that you, you, you're, you're looking at a lab report and the lab is telling you that you know, this, this patient is positive. Like for example, I told you about my son, it should be zero to 99 and we have 6,000 IgG. Obviously it's a chronic ongoing infection. So um, sometimes I'll, I'll have parents that will have, uh, will, will actually schedule uh, an, an hour of my time with an hour of their pediatrician, you know, uh, who is very nice physician, wants to help, but simply cannot wrap her head around what's going on. You know, this is what I learned in medical school. It's an IgG. Yes, but it's, that's not how it works with Lyme disease when you have underlying co-infections. So these labs are good to run. And um, I'm, I'm happy to analyze the labs if, uh, if, if anyone, you know, most, most patients that are far away, you don't have to fly all the way down to New Jersey. Um, I do have international patients who do have the means and resources and, and they're able to obtain visas. They come once a year. So it, it all depends on, on your situation. Um, and and I, I can certainly help. You know, I've, I've had hundreds of patients recover. Um, just like my own son recovered fully and, and you know, with, with all of your efforts, you were able to recover, you were able to get your son back as well, Karen. So right. yeah, I'm that's why I want to tell people don't give up because there's there are definitely a lot of great answers out there and children are recovering. They're getting better. And even any amount of better is better, but there are a lot of children that are really, you know, having life changing results. So and from natural resources. That's always what I I talk about as well. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Now, when, when it comes to mold, uh, <coughs> there is, excuse me. So what happens is um, I'll, you know, because of, um, because I've lived it, because I know what can be uh, the symptoms that are not caused by Lyme, but are caused by mold. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm able to ascertain that, you know, this child, uh, I, when, the, when the child is in office, that uh, I, I need to run a nasal swab to, to look at an, any kind of sinus issues with the mold exposure, et cetera. So uh, then on the other hand, uh, there are some children that have been fully treated for Lyme disease and co-infections, but they still have some residual symptoms. You know, they have headaches, migraines, aches and pains, uh, which which will not go away, you know, memory issues. Uh, most of the children on the spectrum that I've seen have been able to be mainstreamed, more or less. So after these children are mainstreamed, you know, other symptoms are not going away. Uh, that's when we start to suspect that there might be mold. But uh, for me, this was in the beginning. Now that I've seen hundreds of such children, I'm, I'm able to ascertain right in the beginning. So what, what we do is we do a nasal swab. Right. I mean, obviously, history taking is first. You know, uh, do you have uh, a, a basement? Is, is there any exposure to water damage? Uh, sometimes the water damage might be at the hours and hours of ABA that they're getting, you know, at, at the ABA center. Sometimes it's in PT. So what happens is one out of four, um, uh, about 24 to 28% of the general population has a genetic susceptibility, has a DNA makeup, which we can test for as, it's called as the HLA-DR testing, um, 
for not being able to detoxify mycotoxins, or toxins from mold, meaning they are highly susceptible to mold. Uh, and while we do the HLA-DR testing, we also find out you know, other genetic susceptibilities, like susceptibilities to chronic Lyme, uh, susceptibilities to multi-toxins, uh, susceptibility to not being able to detox multiple toxins. So this is additional information other than the, uh, other than the 23andMe or, or the Amy Asco's methylation panel, right? Methylation, the MTHFR, uh, both different kinds of MTHFR. The, A, uh, the A1298 and the C677 um, give you a lot of information as, as far as detoxification goes. The entire methylation panel gives you lots of information, you know, how, how the brain and the immune system's working, how the mitochondria is working. Then you have this mole testing that gives you a different side of genetic information. And as I told you, uh, that's what I love. I like to customize protocols because it gives you much faster results. Well, and people sometimes, the other thing I, uh, I know is like somebody could do some genetic testing and find out maybe they carry the gene because yeah, 25% of the population has this, but that gene might not yet have been triggered. So just Correct. because you have it doesn't mean that you already have all of these problems going on, but it means that you are susceptible. So knowing about this, which, which I'll let Dr. DeShort uh, explain now, is very important because it, it basically is a cascade of inflammation in your body because your body can't get rid of the toxins that, that build when you're exposed to mold. You can go into a public bathroom that has molds in it or a lot of people's homes have hidden areas of mold that they really don't know about. And there are some tests that can be done uh, on your home and other places as well. And I can link to those, but I'll, I'll let Dr. DeShore kind of explain a little bit more ab about this as well. Yes, absolutely. Yes, you're absolutely right, Karen. Um, just because you carry the mutation, everybody has genetic mutations. Uh, and this applies to methylation as well, not just the HLA-DR. Everybody has genetic mutations. One needs to know, you know, so having a genetic mutation is like having a loaded gun. But one needs to know what's pulling the trigger. It needs, you know, it, it could be Lyme disease. It could be uh, actual exposure to black mold or, you know, uh, not just black mold. We know that there are seven to eight different kinds of molds that can be very harmful to humans uh, and testing is available. Uh, it could be it could be pandas, it could be pans, it could be heavy metals, uh, it could be heavy viral load. So it, it, is, um, uh, it is an individual response to what pulls the trigger. It could be environmental toxins of other kinds. Um, the, uh, Dr. Shoemaker is, uh, has unveiled, but not fully, I think he's gonna unveil this at, at the next mold conference, uh, is the proteomics, right? Um, and this is a, a test this is a very new kind of genetic test that, act, that tells you, that looks at, at your blood sample, and they're able to analyze which genes have actually been turned on and what is the trigger. Oh, great. And I believe uh, we can also find out. So once we know the trigger, we know how to quiet the trigger. So this is absolutely amazing. This is, you know, we are, we are going right down to the DNA, RNA level. Uh, and, and, um, uh, and, and we are trying to 
resequence uh, and help patients to quiet the, 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 in, the inflammatory cascades that you spoke about, the inflammatory immune cascades. And when um, you talk about quiet the triggers, uh, what types of things are you talking about? Uh, once we find out what the triggers are, right? Uh, it, uh, as I mentioned before, it, it could be bacterial, fungal, parasitic, uh, and environmental toxins. Or it could be bacterial toxins. Right. So knowing how to handle your toxic environment, <laughs> what you can do in your life and yeah, where you live and what you're exposed to and what you might be exposed to and how to keep your immune system and your body strong in the first place are all key factors. Absolutely. And, and if you are one of the 24% of the population that is genetically susceptible, that is going to be a lifelong alert system that you're going to have to practice. Um, and, you know, there, there, there have been quite a lot of tragedies that could have been prevented. Uh, and mold, you know, people think of mold as an allergy. It's not an allergy to mold. Now, remember, I'm, I'm only talking about the 24% who are genetically susceptible, right? It's not an allergy. It's not toxic mold. And, and more, most importantly, it's not all in your head. Right. <laughs> Right. I, I actually have, have that susceptibility. I have found, I, I did the test. Yeah. So yeah. Um, yeah. And I can tell if I, if I'm around it, mm -hmm. I'll start to feeling kind of dizzy and a little spacey and I get tired. And I'm like, uh Oh, but I just have it very mildly. I and mean, there's different levels that people can have it. So I have something that I can take to help um, counteract it. And I, daily take really good care of myself. I eat well. I have a lot of antioxidants that I take and things Excellent. like that as well. Yeah. 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 It's good. I'm, I'm glad you know how to handle it. Now, um, for me, it's, it's, um, it, it's been, you know, I've, I've had 17 co-infections. Uh, I've recovered from autism, from Asperger's. I mean, I, I, I still have a touch of Aspie. So, and, and, you know, any lack of social graces, that's my excuse. <laughs> I'm still a... <laughs> we all need one. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm, I mean, I'm an Aspie and, and I'm proud of it. I'm doing fine. I'm, I'm okay. You know, I don't have to be completely neurotypical. No, I'm right. You know. So as long as I'm healthy, as long as my, my immune system's okay, I'm, I'm, I'm not limping anymore. I'm walking better. My, you know, brain's functioning much better. Uh, I mean, when, 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 when I was hit with Lyme disease after a car accident, it came back so strong that I was in, in a near coma for six months and, and I, I nearly died. I, I was in a wheelchair. I was barely able to walk. And then I had my son who was afflicted at, at the same time. So it was a very, very complex situation that, that I was in. And, um, and, you know, honestly, nobody does research like a mother of a child yeah. that is ill. <laughs> So it's, it's almost like, you know, get out of my way. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm going to find a solution, right? You, you can relate. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. It's, uh, I've seen some amazing things from parents of children with autism. You know, right. they'll, they're, you know, we won't stop and it's, it's good. good. We're going to get our child better. Yeah. And yeah. It's good. Yeah. So um, it, it becomes a lifelong, like for me, people think I'm crazy because I can start smelling stuff. You know, I go into the restaurant, the bathroom, you know, it, it was a hard sell even for my husband. Oh, it must be that time of the month. 
over, but, you know, you're just being overly dramatic. You're just, I'm, the, I'm not, I'm the, this, this is, you know, this is real. And of course he's, he's, he's amazing right now. He's on board. Uh, he saw how many people have helped, you know, and, and he saw how, how, how our son recovered. So he's, he's actually an advocate. He's uh, at his work, you know, people come to him and ask him all about Lyme disease. <laughs> so he's, um, so yes, it, it, it affects entire, uh, entire families. Did you know, um, for pandas, right? Dr. Klinghart is, is another one of my, uh, one of my teachers, uh, friends and, and mentors that I've spent m many years learning from him. And, um, uh, he, he sent us to Germany for, you know, cryosurgery of, of the tonsils. So what's interesting. Yeah. So we had to go four times, but, but you know, it was a huge learning process for me mm -hmm. as well. And what's interesting is that chiropractors or holistic practitioners in Europe, they don't treat just the child. They expect the entire family to be involved, especially in a case with autism and pandas, because, you know, many parents are silent carriers. Absolutely. That. And a lot of people don't know that even simple things well, not so simple, but candida right. if you're treating the child for candida but the mother has it or the, the rest of the family has it they share spoons they kiss they share an apple they drink from the same cup you're passing that back and forth that's right they don't realize it so it's very important for for families to know to to have everybody looked at not just the child right. with autism right and and it's also very important to have affordable because the the, the same applies to parasites you know, if, if you're sharing bathrooms, the same applies to mycoplasma. It's extremely infectious. It's airborne, you know, it, within the same family. And uh, what, what also is important to remember is for pandas and pans, it is a B cell. Your immune system has a B cell, which has a memory response. You know, so even if it's not within the child, even if it's in the environment, I've seen children start to get motor tics. That's because that's when, you know, a child's spidey sense starts tingling and, and the immune system gets activated and it is the B cell memory response. The, 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 the immune system is sensing, the sixth sense comes into play and the immune system is sensing strep in the environment. Wow, that is amazing. You should be in public with, around somebody who has strep yeah. and, and viruses are very uh, airborne. So, you know. Wow. So you could just be out and all of a sudden you come home or your child's at school and they come home and they're just, they've just been triggered. All of a sudden their behaviors go awry or they get really sick right. and, and it could just be because, so in that case, would a parent, uh, what would a parent do? What would you suggest to be if you, if you kind of notice that quick onset and you're thinking, okay, something's going on, what can I do? A uh, quick onset would be, please don't go for rapid strep. It's usually going to be negative. Let me turn that off. So the uh, best thing to do, I mean, unless you know someone has a sore throat, scratchy throat, uh, there are certain herbs uh, and certain German biologicals that will help to downregulate uh, that response. In the herbs, you know, echinacea is really a good one, and isatis. Uh, isatis is a, a, a good herb. Uh, and then there are antiviral preparations, uh, that are available uh, homeopathically in a homotoxicology that um, I like to use. Now, I don't like, wait, let's go back to the labs. I forgot to mention. So uh, 
not rapid strep, which may or may not be positive. It's usually false negative um, uh, in children with immune difficulties. So the lab test to run would be ASO, Apple Sam O, and anti-DNAs AB for strep. So anti-DNA SE, so DNAs, AB as an antibody, and within parentheses, you have to specify strep. So anti-DNAs AB strep and ASO are very reliable markers to know if there is underlying strep. Um, for children that have had tonsillectomies and adenoidectomies for whatever reason, you know, and that there are children like that out there, don't be under the impression that you cannot get strep. I mean, it, it, it doesn't even make any sense, right? Because I've, I've got parents that, that, that are firmly convinced, no, I, my child doesn't have tonsils. So what do you think happens to the... <laughs> It's almost like, you know what, um, uh, my child doesn't have tonsils. So when the strep bacteria approach him, they're like, uh oh, no tonsils, bye bye, we are leaving. It doesn't work like that. I mean, the, you still breathe in the strep, you still, the strep still goes in your body. Uh, what we find in these children is that very high levels of group B strep in stool testing. So, um, uh, and as Dr. Trifoletti's research has shown us, it's not exclusively the GABIS or the group A strep. It could be group B strep, any kind of strep, even the so-called good strep, streptococcus, uh, uh, what is that, thermophilus, that is seen in yogurts, uh, in many probiotic strains, uh, in kids that have pandas, pans uh, responses to strep, um, they will start upticking if exposed to any strains of strep. The same applies for you know, kids with pans that have a susceptibility or autoimmunity to Lyme disease, any strain of Lyme disease. You know? So don't be under the impression if you're on the West Coast uh, or, or if you're in the US, you know, only Borrelia burgdorferi is, is going to cause pans. Whereas when you go to Europe and, and you get exposed to Miyamotoi, uh, that's not going to cause any any issues. Of course it is. So that's um, you know good information. Mm -hmm. uh, did I answer your question about the the, the, the strep labs? Uh, yes, yes, I believe so. Are there in our are most of the general lab I and mean, there's LabCorp and, and Quest? Are the general labs like that? Are they okay to use? Because I know, yeah, um, like with the mold issue, sometimes you have to use specific labs that that will be able to do to carry out the specific uh, uh, needs uh, uh, that not everybody has. Right. Uh, yes, to test for it. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I know. I know what you're saying. Yeah. So so ASO. And anti-DNAs, AB, strep are fine with any lab, uh, as, as is the other long list of labs I gave you earlier. You know, the CBC, ESR, CRP, uh, what did I say, lipid profile, all of the viruses, the candida okay. that I listed for you, ELISA, Western blot, either one, either lab is fine uh, to, to run those through. Now, with the mold, so if, if, if I suspect, um, you know, with, with history taking, was, was where we were when, when we got into the toxins. But um, so I, I suspect exposure or there is known exposure. So while, the, while I have the child in the office, I will do a deep nasal swab. 
Okay, so we've established exposure. Then we are doing a deep nasal swab looking for Marcons. Marcons are infections, overgrowth in, in the sinuses. Uh, these are multiple antibiotic resistant coagulase um, negative staphylococcal bacteria. It's an overgrowth and um, this can happen from exposure to a water damaged building because uh, a water damaged building contains a lot of particulate matter, a lot of bacteria that grow in that damp environment, damp or wet environment. And um, I, I believe they call it the dirty 30. So there is, you know, hemolysins and volatile organic compounds. There is uh, fungi and bacteria that, that grow in that environment. And of course, you know, if we are exposed to it, we can inhale them. Uh, and uh, because of the immune compromise, you have staphylococcal bacteria that, that, that there's an overgrowth in the sinuses. So the byproducts of this uh, bacterial overgrowth, since the sinuses are so close to your brain, and we've already proved that inflammation can reduce your blood-brain barrier, these compounds cross over into the brain. Uh, and that is where they cause, they cause trouble. You, you have your hypothalamus that is suppressed. Uh, many hormones in the hypothalamus, like, like the melanocyte stimulating hormone that produces um, a, a big anti-inflammatory response that helps to quiet inflammation down in many parts, including the gut, uh, that helps to manufacture melatonin in your body. So uh, an important hormone like that is suppressed. Uh, there's difficulties with many other hormones as well. So, it, so it's safe to say that your hypothalamic pituitary adrenal, your HPA axis, is compromised um, when you're exposed to a water damaged building. So um, after, I run, after I run the uh, nasal swab, I will request uh, their respective um, MDs or pediatricians to run a shoemaker panel. Uh, and shoemaker panel can easily be looked up at www.survivingmold.com. The entire list of labs uh, of you know, various inflammatory markers uh, that have to be looked at. Uh, and what is the significance of these markers? How do they cause an upregulation of your innate immune system? Keep in mind, right, like I said, mold is not an allergy. It is your innate response. Your innate immune system is your first line of defense. It's your immediate reaction. Uh, it does not matter how small the exposure. It is not dose dependent, right? Versus, you know, just to explain better, the acquired immunity, right? So if, if, if you're celiac, that's your, you know, an acquired allergy kind of a response, right, to gluten. So if you have an allergy to gluten and, and, and you start getting celiac symptoms, uh, it does matter how much gluten you eat. If you eat like, you know, five slices of pizza, your GI discomfort will be very high versus if you ate a bite. Not so with mold and your innate immune response. The innate immune response is immediate, it is not dose dependent, and there is no learning that happens. So each time you're exposed to mold and you belong to that, um, you know, the, the, 
that moldy genetic pattern in you, your response will be swift and high. So um, it is the acquired immune system that has that learned response. You know how you say, if, if you're exposed to chicken pox once, you won't get it again. That is your acquired immunity. That's your acquired immune system. Not so with the innate. So immune system is, is very difficult to understand, but one just needs to keep in mind that um, you know, mold is not an allergy. It is, a, um, it is serious business. It is serious inflammation. That is why it's called as chronic inflammatory response syndrome because multiple systems in your body are inflamed. Um, especially your lungs, your gut, your brain. I, I, I had a, a patient that was stage three sarcoidosis in the lungs and and you know his his entire family uh tested positive for lyme disease and mold exposure as did this patient and his pulmonologist was like blown away when we were able to reduce his um uh, stage three sarcoid they were pretty much waiting for him to die you know he would go on to stage four uh, which is very common when you're stage three you know, it goes into stage four and then lung cancer and there's no cure. Uh, now we were able to reverse it back to stage one and he's still improving. What and, types of things did you do to help reverse him? Um, this particular patient wanted to do the Shoemaker protocol as is. So the 12 step Shoemaker, I mean, all of the markers, TGF beta one, your C4A, MMP9, um, they were all uh, dysregulated. Your ADH, osmolality, you know, the, the entire shoemaker panel was dysregulated in this patient. So he wanted to do full, fast, conventional treatment. So for his Marcons, right, for the nasal bacteria, which came up as a large amount, we, we gave him the bag spray, which is, which is a double antibiotic plus one biofilm busting. So bag is uh, Bactroban, EDTA, and gentamicin. That is a nasal spray, antibiotic nasal spray th that is used to eliminate the sinus infections. Then uh, we used for him cholestyramine and then later on reduced that to uh, Wellcol, which are both bile acid sequestrants. Uh, and there is a complex interplay of positive and negative ions and they pull out biotoxins from the hepatic circulation. So, so they don't keep recirculating in the body. They're pulled out and excreted in stool. So we did that. Uh, and then he had low testosterone. So we, we had to, I mean, I, um, what I usually do is um, being, being a holistic practitioner, uh, I play the role uh, of the quarterback the consultant and um, most most of the doctors are you know very kind and very helpful and willing to learn and most doctors ultimately want their patient to get better i'm i'm sure you know you get some that only have two minutes for you but but most doctors that i've come across with children and with adults with chronic issues uh are are have a lot of empathy you know they've they've seen the patient suffering especially when they see the labs they're black and white the numbers are high you know that I know what I'm talking about, in other words. So they're happy to let me be the QB. Uh, and he recovered pretty quickly. Uh, it, well, you know, pretty quickly means like a year. Mm -hmm. 
and uh, for the people listening, um, I will link to survivingmold.com. Dr. Richie Shoemaker was the original doctor who came up with discovering a lot of the things that Dr. Deshore is talking about and how to treat it properly. And so it's just good to know that um, you'll want to really look at Dr. Shoemaker's site if you're looking for somebody near you or contact Dr. Deshore via her contact information because although you can have the labs done near you, you really have to have a doctor who or a practitioner who specializes in this particular protocol to really know how to treat it properly. Most general practitioners, if they have not been trained in this by Dr. Shoemaker, they don't really know how to, to properly treat it uh, and, and get the right results. Yes, that is correct. Yes. Now, um, I, I've been training with Dr. Shoemaker for two and a half years because he's been treating my son. So it's, it's been, you know, an intense process that I've been training one-on-one -on -one with him for a while. Uh, and he's absolutely amazing. He's, it's just a, such a brilliant man. I mean, it's, he's saved, I don't know, thousands of lives mm -hmm. through, through his research and he's not stopping. You know, he, he keeps coming up with more and more innovative ideas. Um, what I'd like to mention with respect to children on the spectrum, again, you know, this whole conventional treatment and antibiotic issue does come into play. So uh, what I'm doing is, uh, I believe there's one other physician, I can't recall the name now, but um, what, what, as you can see, there aren't too many of us, but uh, due to demand from, from my adult patients who have developed multiple chemical sensitivities, uh, so they cannot tolerate any, any conventional medication, uh, all the way from them to the children, that may or may not have multiple chemical sensitivities, but, but they're on the spectrum. So one, one has to be careful with any kind of antibiotic. Um, I've, I have a proprietary uh, nasal spray, uh, which is completely herbal, that, that I'm, I'm currently using uh, on patients. And uh, we, we have about uh, almost, almost 100 people that are on it now. And, and we are waiting for them to be on it for a couple months so we can rerun the labs uh, and look at the efficacy. So it is a, a, um, a fairly moderate size study going on. And there's another study that, that I'm slowly building is for options to using cholestyramine and Wellcall because that can be very GI disturbing yes. on the spectrum. So uh, I've, I've come up with, um, with an, an herbal alternative that we are trying and uh, right now we have about 27 patients on it um and and you know as soon as the results start coming out i i'll, I'll be presenting them at um uh, at the next international mold conference oh that's wonderful news i know that cholestyramine can be like you mentioned very uh, gi disturbing and uh, can be very constipating and yeah. some many children on the autism spectrum especially already have these these issues going on we can't yeah. add to that but something has to be done so that's wonderful that you're coming up with some normal remedies it's really good news do you know if somebody uh, is swabbed for uh, the um, the marcons and it comes up positive and they're treated with the bags and it goes away and, and they're better, they're re-swabbed and it's not there anymore. They found it to be negative afterwards. Does, does that, does, is that person should be much more susceptible to getting it again or just looking at watching them for mold indicators, symptoms, or do you know? I, I know. Right, uh, that's okay. Uh, Marcons, you know, usually cause a lot of chronic sinusitis type problems. 
you know, or so those are relatively easy to spot. If you have a child that goes back to being stuffy, that that goes back to having, you know, breathing difficulties, goes back to getting ear infections uh, a lot. So you know that something is up, something's brewing. So it's, um, so Marcon's should usually be run once a year. Uh, now, uh, uh, you know, one, one weird thing happened to us was that um, of all places, I, I, I didn't even think about this, but my son was recently re-exposed to a water damaged school bus. I mean, you know, you have this water damaged building in your head, right? But keep in mind, it, it, it could be something like, you know, a, a school bus or a car even, mm -hmm. right? You know, when uh, uh, some, sometimes you leave your, uh, I've, I've, I've had parents that this happened to, you know, leaving the skylight, not skylight, what is that called? Uh, the- um, Yeah, the skylights, they leak often. Or is, skylight, something no, no, no. What's, oh, in a car? What's the skylight in the, um, yeah, skylight in the car, the sunroof. Oh my sunroof. God, is the <laughs> kicking in now? <laughs> yeah. The sunroof is accidentally left open. You know, the window is accidentally left open. So the, the car gets water or, or there is AC fluid leakage or whatever, right? For whatever reason, the, the car becomes water damaged. Um, and of course, all they do is, you know, they suck the water out from the carpets and they say, voila, your car's fine. No, it's not, mm -hmm. you know, uh, uh, the, the best. So let me complete. So yeah, so we found uh, mold exposure on the school bus. So my son ended up getting a large amount of Marcons all over again. And he also acquired the 6,000, no, for yeah, 6,500 mycoplasma again. Oh, so you so had to start all over again? So we had to, no, not all over. You know, we just treated for the mycoplasma okay. uh, and, and I just used all herbs. And for the nasal spray, I was able to use, uh, use my herbal spray as well. And uh, the Marcons have reduced from a large amount to a small amount. That was last month. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to rerun it. Keep in mind, using natural methodology, using herbals uh, is going to take uh, a month or so longer than using antibiotics. But most people I know, you know, are not worried about that because you start improving right away. With mold, it's pretty black and white. You know, you, you'll see your labs changing. You'll see your, uh, you, you'll see your numbers improving. Right. Um, and your symptoms. You'll just start feeling better pretty quickly. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I've, I've had patients with years and years of headaches. You know, that headaches just um, uh, have disappeared. So we know that, that, that these herbal alternatives are working. But, you know, uh, we just need to wait to run the labs again. So right. we have like concrete data that, hey, you know, it's working. Right. Wow. Well, I'm, I'm sure we could probably talk for days. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Yes. <laughs> right. Any There's... one of these, right? It's, it's, it's so... Now, now you see why, why I, I call it complex autism. My goodness. It's it just... Oh, absolutely. And I'm, I'm really... Like you, I'm trying to educate parents and let them know that, you know, the Lyme, the pandas, the mold, all these other things exist. So, you know, a lot of the times I'll talk to parents and they'll, they'll say, well, I've had my child on a gluten-free, casein-free diet or we eat organic. I've had yeah. them on for years and they're just not getting better. Well, there's so much more to do. There's just, and so many more things to be aware of that are additionals, like, like what we, all the things that we just discussed here and how you can find out accurately, um, 
the testing that will give you the results that you need, the doctors that you need to go to or, or talk to, and, and, and uh, can be consulted at distance, which is wonderful because people are global. Um, so yeah, I appreciate all of your help today, and I will link to, uh, to many of the things that we discussed. And again, your website, would you just say it again really quickly? Yes, of course. It's uh, theshoreintegrativerx.com. Great. And um, mine is naturallyhealingautism.com. And I will, again, link to these uh, on the, the bottom of the page underneath the uh, podcast there. So for people who are uh, wanting to go back, because I know it was a lot of information, a lot of very helpful information. So I really, really appreciate you giving us your time today, Dr. Deshore. And I'm sure that uh, you've helped a lot of people today. Uh, and this will, you know, they'll be able to hear this for a long time to come. So now people will have a lot more knowledge to help their children. Well, namaste and thank you for the opportunity. Uh, namaste. You're so welcome. Thank you again. I really, really appreciate it. You have a great day. You too. Take care, Karen.